1: Welcome to episode 570 uh, with my guest, Dave Anthony. This is a replay of an episode that was originally recorded in 2012, the second year of the podcast. And uh, this was voted as one of the listener favorites from that year. And it's one of my favorites. There's a lot of laughter and a lot of talk about codependency uh, in this episode with Dave. Uh, And I really like it. Hope you like it too. Uh, Our sponsor, This week, as always, is BetterHelp.com, online counseling. That's BetterHelp.com. They have tons of licensed and qualified therapists. Uh, they're licensed in all 50 states. Um, BetterHelp is actually available worldwide now. And uh, you can get started uh, talking to a counselor in under 48 hours. And all you need to do is go to betterhelp.com mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part so they know you came from this podcast. And then just fill out a questionnaire. And if they have a counselor that they feel is a good fit for you, they will match you up with one and, uh, you can experience, uh, some counseling and get 10% off your, your first month of it. And, uh, you know, therapy is definitely a chemistry, uh, thing. Um, I, as I mentioned before, I was with the same counselor, BetterHelp, for about three years, and then she had to leave to take care of her critically ill husband. And so I am looking for uh, a new counselor now at BetterHelp. And, um, and I'm working with a woman named Heidi. And, and she's definitely different than my, than my old uh, therapist. She's, she's kind of more matter of fact. And, and her area of expertise um, is on, or at least what we're going to focus on, is uh, helping me be more productive and reach more of uh, my goals. So I'll let you know how it goes. Anyways, betterhelp.com slash mental. And uh, without any further ado, here is that uh, best of episode with Dave Anthony. I'm here with uh, with Dave Anthony, and we've been talking about getting together and doing this for going on, what, 15 years? Something like
0: that, yeah. I mean, we talked about it before you even had a podcast, as Before I recall. we met. Before we met, yeah.
1: yeah. There's about uh, a half a dozen people that I keep meaning to have on the podcast, and every time I bump into them, I'm the, like, do a homework. Oh, God! Yeah. And... uh I know the fans of your podcast, um, walking the room, I'm one of them uh, have uh, some of them listen to this show also and and really want to to hear you come on uh, <laughs> and, and we've joked about it. I was on the Walking the Room's hundredth uh, uh, episode and we joked about what oh. would happen if you and I brought our drunken Irish depression and rage together <laughs> in the room. <inn. laughs> An the,
0: anger vortex
1: an anger vortex that uh that it could only end And i can't remember what the what did we what did we call I it i remember where one of us would have to jerk off uh, while the other one shot himself in the head and it would be called a double <laughs> shamrock i think that's i think that's what it was called <laughs> oh yeah but i uh i, I first of all i want to i want to plug not that it needs plugging but i want to plug your guys uh, podcast. It's called Walking the Room. You you host it with uh, Greg Berent, uh and it is just the fucking greatest. It, oh, thank it's you! So funny and honest and dark and wrong, and it's it's like every. I don't know how, how would you describe it to somebody that's never that's never heard it before.
0: I mean, I would say that we go like nothing's out of bounds.
1: And you guys are parents, which I th- and, love so much, is yeah. that you talk, you say the shit that you know parents must think about yeah. parenting, but you
0: say it. Totally. Yeah, I think so. I think when we sat down and we first decided to do it, it was like, let's just be as honest as we can about everything, about what's going on, the careers, about the kids, about like all of it. Yeah. And so that's what we go for.
1: Like in in, in the span of five minutes, you will talk about how much you love your kids and how they did this thing that, you know, warmed your heart and then in 10 minutes later you'll be talking about laying a jizz bomb on somebody's back.
0: Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> you know,
1: that's <laughs> Yeah. So that that's kind of but it's it's so um But that's
0: that's life. I mean, is. I know that people try not to do that, but I remember, you know, Greg Giraldo who passed away a comedian, he was once asked about what why he is sometimes <laughs> really dirty or just goes there. And it's like, cause that's life. You, that's what our podcast is. It's life. Like sometimes I'm super filthy. Sometimes I'm, you know, loving and honest or whatever. I'm angry. Like it just goes all over. That's just, that's just what it is. And that's what I think podcasting is for. It's to hear something you don't hear
1: in other places. Yeah. And, and, and hear the, the, the dark stuff. And it, it, it's so nice when you hear somebody else voice a thought that is, um, maybe a little, over the line, um, uh-huh. but you've thought it or felt it and you're like, Oh my God, that's so cathartic. Yeah. It's so cathartic. And plus you guys are just fucking funny and you have a, you have a great chemistry. Uh, Dave is kind of known as the angry curmudgeon on the, uh, <laughs> on the podcast, you know? Um, yeah. And you certainly aren't play acting. No. Uh, you're a pretty angry guy. Uh, is it, is it something that is, a constant issue with you or is it talk, talk about your anger?
0: I think, I think it was more a constant issue before, like when I hit 35, I sort of realized how to deal with it and where it came from and all that. But, but yeah, no, it was completely destructive up until then. Completely destructive.
1: Where, where would be the best place to to start? You want to, you want to talk about what it was like growing up?
0: Well, we can, because without that, I don't think you understand the anger. I mean, I grew up with a serious alcoholic and a Al-Anon mother. So she, my mom was raised by two serious alcoholics. So then she, of course, married an alcoholic because that's what you do. So she was shut down as a human being, and he was a neglect a neglectful alcoholic. So I was literally when people say they were raised by wolves, like I was raised by wolves. Like I was raised by, like was raised by people who weren't
1: there, just not interested in they you. They just know. weren't.
0: Yeah. I mean, they, they just couldn't be. It was beyond their capability. Yeah. Uh, and my mom tried as much as she could, but my mom said to me a few years ago, she said, you disappeared when you were three. I just saw you go inside of yourself when you didn't come out again until you mid-30s. Really? Yeah, yeah. She she literally said she saw it happen, where I just kind of vanished inside of myself. And...
1: Did you do, like, a magician flourish? Did you do it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I threw down a flash pot. <laughs> A smoke bomb, and then I just, and then when the smoke cleared, she, I was just inside of myself. (laughs) (laughs) That's so
1: fucking sad, though, man. It's three.
0: It's three. I know. When she told me that, because this, that came about because I had basically had a, I mean, it was basically a breakdown. I mean, I think, I don't know what you'd classify it as, but when I was in my mid 30s, and I went back to talk to her and like just lay it all on the line. And she was like, yo, this is the first time I've seen you come out of yourself since you were th- uh, three. And I was like, what? And she's like, yeah, I just saw you disappear inside yourself. And she lays a lot of that on my dad, but she also cops that she wasn't really able to yeah, be there.
1: She didn't know how.
0: And she still isn't on a lot of levels. She's just not, she's not a, they're not like loving parents, you know. I just don't have that, and I never will.
1: What are you at peace with that?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm totally at peace with it. Um, you know, I uh, I love my mother, and and it's just a it's just a sort of a distant relationship. I mean, she still drives me insane because she's my mother, uh, but uh, but she. She's there and I can talk to her about stuff but she's really just sort of has a narrow path as she she walks in and she can't deviate from it and she can't conversationally she can't deviate from it like it's just it's just so she wants to talk about things that are bad or wrong or things that aren't going well and there's just not a lot. She
1: does or does not want She them? does. That's that's all it is. Oh so she's pretty negative. Yeah, yeah, very negative. Yeah, my mom will do that sometimes. She will it's like a, a switch will flip, and she will just go on these angry monologues that will. I could put the phone down and cook an entire meal.
0: Totally, and they're and and for me, they're monologues I've heard before. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, here we go. This one's kicking off. Yeah. And then you know, and then she wants me. She wants she wants to know about what's wrong in my like. All the questions are always like. Oh so how's that going? Is that going okay? Hoping it'll we'll be like, well, it's not. It's not working out. Oh, see. Yeah, I get that. Like that's when she relates.
1: So I that's how I grew up relating, you know. So negativity negativity was kind of like currency. Yeah. Totally. And you were rich.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was loaded, man.
1: Uh so what what kind of seminal moments stick out in your in your mind from childhood adolescence that that kind of uh
0: there were you know there were so my dad was a a really big drunk and my parents got divorced when i was uh Did he
1: ever win any awards?
0: Did he win awards yeah. for being uh, a drunk. really big drunk? Yeah. yeah, actually. He just never
1: showed up uh, to a collective.
0: He was <laughs> He's a member of the Native Sons of the Golden West, so yeah, he would occasionally win awards for like... I don't know what that is. That's like a... It's like a Think of the Elks Lodge, but oh. for Californians. Okay. And so he would like win president of the lodge, and that just meant you really knew how to party. Yeah. Uh, was he a vet? No, not a fat guy. No. He, he like exercised and stuff. No, no. Was he a vet? No, he wasn't fat. No, <laughs> no he wasn't a vet. No. Yeah. He was uh, an attorney. Okay. So...
1: No, I meant a veteran.
0: No, I know okay. I was saying he's an attorney, so sort of the same thing. No, those guys aren't vets. Are you asking if the Native Sons of the Golden West guys are vets?
1: Yeah, I, for some reason I thought Oaks Lodge might have been uh, uh, military veterans. Oh, I see
0: what you're saying. No, uh, literally to get in the Native Sons of the Golden West, you just have to be born in California. Oh, okay. And then you go to the lodge and you drink. <laughs> it's pretty great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so there are like, moments that stand out are like... Uh, so my parents got divorced when I was in uh, second or third grade, third grade, and then, uh, and then I would go see him on Sundays, and that was always like, so he had, a then he remarried to a woman who was also an alcoholic, and this is one of the biggest things, is every Sunday we'd go, I'd go over to his house, she would take a bath in the middle of the day, bombed out of her mind, and then sit in the tub and scream about how horrible me and my sister were to herself.
1: Fucking little brats, spoiled little fucking cocksucker
0: piece of shit. Like, that's what it would be for like an hour. And he would never go in and tell her to shut up. Are you shitting me? I swear to God. He would just sit there and act like it wasn't happening. And I would just be like, well, this is odd.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God.
0: So... Uh, you know, what you take away from that is that, oh, no one is protecting me at all. I'm on my own. He never let me win a game of anything my entire life. Checkers, basketball, whatever it was, I never beat him. Like, that's fucked up for a kid's like self-esteem. Like, you gotta give him one. Uh, he would drive, he would pick us up, he would drive to a bar and say, I gotta go in and cash a check at Matucci's. And he would give us a couple of dollars to go to the Taco Bell next door. And then he would go in there for like four hours.
1: And And and, and you would just sit at the Taco Bell? We'd sit
0: in the car. For like four hours.
1: Oh my God, the rage you must have felt.
0: Well, yeah. And so when people are like, oh my God, you're so angry or what. like, Trust me, it's all for a reason. It all exists for a reason. I had a terrible father. Like beyond, unbelievably bad.
1: I remember... One time, uh, this guy—I I was like 14, and you know, you're trying to get money for weed and some. And this guy was like, I don't even know how I met this guy. He was like 35, and he was like, "Yeah, I need to clean out a storage shed. I'll pay you a couple of dollars to come help me." So I helped this guy clean out his storage shed, and on the way home, he stops at a at a bar and says, "I just got to go in and talk to somebody." <sighs> and I'm sitting in the car, and I'm not kidding you. I I, I after like. 25 30 minutes i began to feel such rage yeah i i felt like i wanted there was like a ball of tears in my throat i can't imagine what it would be like for that to happen time and time and time again yeah. from your fucking dad. father
0: and and the thing is is like yeah it it goes from you being angry at the moment to just being angry all the time yeah. like eventually it just transitions into you're just angry that's just what you are that's your that's your state your natural state then becomes anger yeah, so it was, it, and, and I still, uh, and I, I talked to my sister about it because my sister would be there too, would be the two of us just sitting there, and she was two years older, and she was like, I don't know why I ever didn't just get out of the car and walk home. And it would have been about a two-mile walk, but she's like, I could have easily walked home, and then he would have come out of the bar and been like, where are my kids? Well, they're home. They walked two miles home. While you were in the bar, like, and who that would, you know, what that would have had absolutely no repercussions. Like, he would have been mad at us or something, but it would have been a nice thing to do for I, our self esteem.
1: Is he still drinking?
0: <laughs> yep, yep. That's never gonna stop. He's. Uh... I had to talk to him about it. Well, there's a couple talks I had. I um... when I had my like breakdown thing, I went out to lunch with him, and I hadn't talked to him in three years because when I was living in New York, I was doing stand up living in New York. I decided to not call him and wait for him to call me. I just made a decision one day because I, I Let's was Let's see home.
1: how long it takes for him to notice. All
0: right, I was at home and uh, and my beeper went off. That's when we had beepers. My beeper went off and uh, and it was my dad. And I was like, and I called him and I go, "Why'd you beat me?" He goes, "Well, I tried you at home." I go, "You didn't try me at home. I'm sitting at home right now." He just didn't want to pay the long distance call. Oh so, my
1: god!
0: So I thought. The next, then I hung up the phone. And I thought I'm gonna wait until he calls me. Three years, and not not like three quiet years, three years of my grandmother calling me, going, "How come you won't talk to your father?" And me going, "I will. He just has to call me." Like three years, and then finally, after three years, after I went through all myself, I called him up and I just let's have dinner or lunch or whatever it was. And then we sat down and he talked he talked about his alcoholism and he said, you know, I have a his quote was I have a monster living inside of me. Wow. Yeah. And when you hear that, you're like, okay, well that's a little bit different than what I have. But apparently that's uh my wife who is a psychologist, uh, says that is a common thing that you will hear. Oh pe- I, I, I have a monster living inside of me.
1: I relate to that. I'm yeah, an you do. addict and an alcoholic. Yeah. And yes. It's a it's a great way. But having your father tell you that oh, yeah. is is what I was wowing.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So I went to uh, I went to support groups and I like worked through it all and, and and heard heard a lot of stories that I related to, that kind of stuff, you know. And um and and then I, I, I went on a podcast, one of Mark Marin's podcasts, and I talked a lot about my dad and he listened to it. And then I got an email from him. This is the other thing. Like, he doesn't know how to communicate. Like, he doesn't call you. He doesn't know how to talk. So, email, like, he had stomach cancer. And I found out from an email the email was literally, Hey, Dave, uh, I have stomach cancer. I'm having a lot of my stomach removed tomorrow in the hospital. Love, dad. Like, that was the, that's how I found out my dad had cancer. So, uh, so he wasn't good at communicating. So, after I did the Mark Marin show and I talked about him a lot, um, he, he contacted me and just said, uh, "I heard a lot of interesting stuff," and I was like, "Okay, does that mean he heard it, or does that mean he just heard it?"
1: And how does he f- feel about what he heard?
0: Right. So uh, I called him, and we talked. And then this was on this is on the first couple episodes of my podcast because that's right when we started ours one and two. So I think it's all oh, covered wow. in there. So we talked in it and and it was it was one of those conversations where you want to like what you want to hear is I'm sorry. I blew it. I was in a bad place. I wasn't a good dad. That kind of thing. So when you so what I I would say, "Hey, you weren't I said, "Hey, you weren't there for me. Uh I didn't get what I needed from you. In my opinion, that was because of how much you drank. Uh and that kind of stuff. And his response was, ha, yeah. Like, so, so there are, there are so many different responses in your head that you think can come defensive or this or that. But like, it was so just like, huh, yeah. So like weirdly matter of fact that it was just like, that was so bizarre that it was cathartic in that he just isn't there. Yeah. There's just nothing there.
1: Well, plus, you know, too, if you, the th- the thing you have to understand about alcoholism, I mean, you may know this uh, already, but people become emotionally frozen at the age that they be- begin escaping into whatever their addiction is. Sure. So even though you are talking to a guy who's in his sixties or seventies, mm. you are really talking to probably an eight or a ten year old. Yeah. Trying to have an emotional conversation.
0: Yeah. And that's and that's exactly how it feels. Like it's just not. It's not happening. It's not there. It's not in him. Uh, so, you know, that was, for me, it was a good thing for, it was just bizarre. And, and, and thank God I had, you know, gone through support groups and therapy and whatever else, because it just didn't like, it just didn't have the effect it would have 10 years before. It would have devastated me or I would have just been more enraged. You and would have still been
1: trying to get the, some, some juice from that yeah. rock.
0: Yeah. And there's no juice coming from that rock. There it's isn't. a rock. There isn't. So, uh, and now I'm at the point where I don't even talk to him anymore because like last christmas yeah we're done. i'm kind of done with it cuz last christmas i went up to he's now turned really angry and very political and uh, the opposite of my political beliefs and so we went up and he just came into my sister's house on christmas and just launched into me like it was just insane and it was all really conspiracy not tethered in reality stuff and my sister watched it and she just said yeah, you guys don't have a relationship at all. And I was like, yeah. I don't. And so I'm just done. I mean, it's sad that I have a kid now and that's that's what the choice
1: I have to make, but it just is. That's so awesome though that you can accept that. Yeah. And and not try to get into the insanity of thinking you can control it and make it something other than what it is. You've done all that you can. Yeah. You've expressed your feelings to him. You've given him a chance to try to change. Yeah. And you've realized
0: Well, I've handled it from every different angle. I've ignored him. I've expressed nothing but rage towards him. I've I've done self-destructive things to myself. I've tried to be kind, I've tried to be loving. Like it's all out there what were the and none of
1: destructive things. That my you whole
0: did. career up until I was 35, everything. I I sabotaged myself from I I would say from the time I was 12 to never succeed at anything because he wanted me to succeed so he could go to the bar and brag.
1: Really? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Cuz I would hear that like if I did stand up on a TV show, he would never say, "Hey, good job," or "Hey, that was great. I watched it." I would just hear that your dad showed me your stand-up is a tape, or like I would hear from other people, and it's like so you're using me as a thing to brag to other people, but you don't say it to me. So then I started sabotaging my own career to stop him from feeling any joy. <laughs>
1: that is in the dictionary under uh, <laughs> biting off your nose despite. Oh your my face. god! Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, who
0: know? Who knows how far it would have gone if I didn't, you know, get my shit together.
1: And it's still something I fight through. You know, I always, I always have to fight, like stopping myself from. Oh, well, shit. I I need some highlights of this self sabotage, this destruction, because uh...
0: I can tell you when it started. Um, I know I I the biggest event in my childhood was I was uh, on a baseball team, and he was the coach, and we had some sort of disagreement. And he wouldn't take me out of a game. So I stood at the plate, and I didn't move the bat off my shoulder. And it was strike one, and it was the ninth inning. You know, like a time I needed to get it, strike two, strike three. And then I turned around to the opposing team's uh, bleachers and raised the bat above my head and said, yeah, <laughs> that kind of shit. <laughs> like that was just... And then you get into stand up and I was the guy who would get into arguments with people and turn my back on people. And like the, say, take the club owner of Cobbs, who really wanted me to succeed. Now he was
1: nuts, but he really wanted me to succeed and he had really high hopes for me. Cobbs is a very a prestigious uh, comedy club in San Francisco. Yeah. And so, and so, what I should have done was
0: gone in and done my work and try to improve myself and and better myself and use that stage time he was giving me to just work on my stand-up. But what I did was embroil myself in some weird relationship with him where we would drink and get in fights and and scream at each other all the time and then I would and then I would purposefully do what he didn't want me to do on stage he used to hate that I would gather my thoughts by looking up at the ceiling. And one time he put a sign up on the ceiling and said, why are you looking up here, Dave? <laughs> and then I proceeded to just stare at the ceiling all the time. Like, that's the kind of shit I would do. It wasn't like huge sabotage, but that's enough to make a guy go, I'm not going to book you anymore because you're doing exactly what I tell you not to do. So that's the kind of stuff I would do over and over and over again. And like I, when I was in New York, I was with an agency and I fired my agency at 3 a.m., by email like just stuff like that you just don't do that <laughs> I seriously set my career back yeah hey, just I could I could have been that's that's my biggest regret in life is just the the fact that I fucked up and I get that I can't I go sort of beyond my control at that point like I was just a train out of control but it is my biggest regret is the, all the opportunities that I had that I just blew just blew repeatedly also because I was super judgmental about everything you know so I would set stuff up to be like well I'm not gonna do that like an example is Bob Odenkirk and his wife came out to New York and Bob took me out to, we went out and we like ate. And he's like, I want you to write for the show I'm doing. I want you to submit stuff. I want you're, you're really funny. I love your stuff. I've always liked your stuff. I want you to submit for my show. And I was like, fuck that. I'm not going to be in some stupid sketch show. I'm going to be involved in that shit. It was Mr. Show? Yeah. Like that's the kind of stuff that my career is just littered with. And later he hired me on a show after Mr. Show to write on a pilot that didn't get picked up. But it was like too little, too late, you know. But that's it. That's like the epitome of my
1: career. Do you think it's possible, though, that all of that, and maybe this is just me, you know, Mr. Silver Lining, but do you think it's possible that all of those experiences have been necessary to inform this part of your life? Yes, without a doubt. Um,
0: It's made me a better person. I think if I had had success early, I would be a worse person. I mean, you know, because...
1: I agree. I think if you had had success with that rage... that would be a monster. ...be an absolute monster. A tall,
0: and I, we we know those people. We know those people who got success in our monsters. Like, they're, Hollywood is littered with them. That's just not a fun way to live. And they think that by get, getting success, which I did, I thought that by getting fame and success, that was going to be the thing. And then as you get older, you go, oh, that's not the thing.
1: That's it, not the thing at all. It's just a different set of pressures... And then you feel, because you've had so many different things going on, so many fires, you begin just having more people to blame for yeah. the, the anxiety and the fear and the unfulfilled sick fantasies you have in your head. Yeah. So you just begin, and and people in this town don't call you on it because they think they might need you later if you yeah. continue to be more successful <laughs> yes. so they enable you
0: <laughs> totally
1: and and people are making money off of you so they're making 10 percent
0: or whatever it is so they don't they are not going to tell it. you, you you're a fucking monster right not at all they're not going to say anything about it i don't it, um i can't even imagine what i would have been like i think i would have been the worst of the worst just
1: i i, I have to agree i mean it's <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, it's like, okay, let me just say this. I didn't have, and, and people can't understand this. I mean, the number of people that can understand this is very few in the world. I didn't have a feeling until I was 33. I was all anger. I was different levels of anger. And then after I started going to therapy and support groups and all that, I like all of a sudden started having feelings as a human being. Like, oh, this is happiness
1: like it was just crazy. Can can you talk about what that process was like and what you remember thinking and feeling? I remember the
0: first thing I remember is the fir- you know the first feeling I felt after coming out of whatever whatever. I mean it w- it was a it was a profound depression that I was in which manifested just through pure rage. So and
1: let's remember to talk about the meltdown before we're we're over. I certainly oh, yeah, don't, want, okay. don't want to skip over that. Yeah, sure. Or should uh, we talk about that before we talk about the therapy? We could, which which we could talk about it because
0: it came. No, it, the meltdown came after all all of this. The okay. meltdown came after I started work. I mean, that's you know happens a lot. You start working on yourself, and then you go, "Holy shit!" And then you start feeling feelings, and you go, "Holy shit!" Yeah, this is awful. No wonder I escaped. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so this is before. So we can talk about it uh this way. So. I was in a relationship that relationship ended and it was uh uh 6 or 7 years ago we moved out from New York together living together she went back to New York I was trying to work my way through it and I started going to support groups and and uh therapy and uh and then I started feeling feelings like it was just it was just writing stuff down, and it was just it was just listening to other people's stories and going, "Oh, I get that, I get that," and and sort of being in a safe place where you, I mean, basically, you go to a support group. It's like creating a family that you didn't have exactly, and that's that's what you're looking for. You can find the father figures, the brothers, the sisters. That's that's who that's my amazing. F- that's who my family is there. I mean, besides my sister and her kids. My family, really, they're my friends. Uh, so so then you start to have all those feelings that you never had because people are actually being there in the way that your parents should have been there for you. Uh, and then the anger starts to recede a little bit. And when the anger goes away, then there's feelings. And I remember the first feeling I had was sadness. And I was overjoyed because I had never felt the feeling before. And it's so, it's so... That's the sad thing is that to me, the saddest thing of all of it is that, and I don't know what age that was that, like you said, you get, you stop at a certain age. That might've been me being three again, which is really fucked up that I just missed all those years. So like, who knows when my feelings, I stopped feeling my feelings as a kid, but that's just so sad that that's 33 is when I started going, Oh, sadness. This is cool. Like, I remember being sad and being like, this is awesome that I'm sad.
1: And uh, I and, and I don't imagine you would have been able to see that as a positive thing unless you had been through therapy and support groups. Correct. I would have been totally
0: mortified and terrified by it and wouldn't have humiliated and it. think yeah.
1: this is a this is a wrong feeling. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um so I went through that uh for I didn't I didn't date anyone for 2 years uh because I just wasn't capable. I was like I can't even like like I was just like I got to fix myself before I go near anybody else. And then I met someone through the support groups and fell pretty hard. She was in the process of getting a divorce, and she couldn't deal with being in a relationship, so she bailed, and then I just lost it, just totally fell apart like couldn't couldn't function like couldn't literally could not function as a person. uh I remember after a month, I was sitting on my couch. And I had two cats, and just I looked at the, I looked around and I was like, there, there's like an, there's like a layer of cat hair in my entire, like covering my entire apartment. There's a layer of cat hair. And I was like, I haven't cleaned or done anything in a month. And the really funny thing is, I felt like I couldn't, like everything that I wanted to hold on to was just slipping away. Like my career had fallen apart, I had no money. I couldn't clean. Like, it was just insane. I remember I sat down on the couch and my pants ripped up the back. And I was like, fuck, I can't even have pants. Like, <laughs> like, it was just so, like, everything has to go to start again. And that, for me, was like the thing, like, okay, no pants, no nothing. Everything has to go. Like, I have to completely start over again. So I did. I I just, I started going to even more support groups and and doing more therapy. I started reading a lot of Buddhist literature, which really helped me. Just for being, like, for me, it helped me just go like, this is just, it is what it is, is the saying that people despise. But for me, it means a lot. Yeah, it is. It, this is just what it is. This is this is what the path I was given. If I fight against it or feel, oh, poor me, or fucking, oh, I'm angry about it. It just, it just, it, like, I just had a shitty start. So it, that's just what it is. So I, that's how I feel about my life now is like. It's just my path, and, and I can't fret over the shit that happened. Like, cause it's, the, what's the point? What? Then you're just fighting with yourself. You know, that's all anger is, is you're just, you're just fighting with yourself and it's denying tired. reality. I mean, it comes out against other people, but you're hurting yourself far more than anybody else. So I got my shit together. I, I remember I stopped, like, I moved into a new apartment. I didn't set up the, te- I had no television. Like, I just went really minimal. And, um, and they me, and it like it was like basic stuff, like clean, do the dishes, like take care of your basic shit, And I just sort of reformed myself as a person and then uh and then that girl came back, really, yeah, now she's my wife,
1: no way,
0: yeah, the one who broke broke my heart and sent me into all that that tailspin came back and she was like, "Wow, look at you, you're different and better, have and like, she'd gone through her own process.
1: you have less cat hair on you,
0: I had less cat hair on me, and it was like. You know, I was a completely different person at that point than she'd been just six months before. And if she hadn't done that, if she hadn't broken up with me, I would have never gone through that shit that I went through. And I would probably still be in that weird state of like half, half fixed. And even Greg, like I had stopped talking to my podcasting partner, Greg, in that time. And and i'm not sure when in this span it is but i went back to him and apologized for all the shit that i had done and
1: you know a lot of it was on me you know the 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 thing that strikes me about that is what i hear over and over and over again with the people that go to support groups try to broaden their perspective by you know getting into some type of spirituality going to therapy all of those things to get different points of view is that they they begin to see that that there is that the universe kind of forces you sometimes to go to the gym for your soul. Yeah. And you hate it at the time, but after doing some work you're like this is awesome that mm-hmm. I have had to develop these tools to survive. Yeah. Now I'm better than normal yeah. because I can take these tools and these experiences, and when new shit hits me, I'm fucking equipped, yep, yeah, for the most part, I'm equipped, I
0: mean you know here and there, obviously yeah it's it's like certainly any, yeah. it, it's
1: certainly not like you're never gonna make mistakes you know mm-hmm. that's that's certainly a fantasy is to think that we're we're not gonna fuck up, we're not gonna get angry, we're not gonna disappoint people, yeah, but it's so much better than.
0: Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing for me, which I haven't touched on at all, was being a victim. Like I, because of the way I was raised, I was just victim,
1: victim. And be I, the easiest thing in the world with your story, of course, to be and, stuck
0: in that place. And then you set up situations where you fuck something up, and then someone gets mad at you, and then you're the victim. Like that's that's just the classic victim thing to do. And I remember, <laughs> so when I was going through all this, I remember I was at the gym and I was I, I like went through like a thing where I like worked out all the time and like lost twenty pounds and was like skinny as shit and like. <laughs> I went through that whole, like, classic thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was on the gym and I was running, I was on the, uh, uh, what do you call it? Treadmill. Treadmill, I'm running. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, I really love to go to, like, a place, like, Nepal or something. And just, cause, like, I just love, I, I've always loved, like, being out in nature and, like, and just, like, go backpacking or something. it would just be so fantastic to just, like, experience a place like that. And then I was thinking, and I thought, and then I'd probably be kidnapped. <laughs> And then, and then these guys would hold me hostage and then no one would want to pay the ransom and they'd probably kill me. And so, and then I was like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like I can't even have a, a decent like fantasy about something. And that was the last time I ever, that was literally a, like my brain just went, no more victim shit, dude. That like literally that moment I went, wow. I turned it off. Wow. I don't think I've had that mentality since, but I literally turned it off. Wow.
1: Do you, do you still, um, do you consider yourself to be a Buddhist?
0: No, I don't practice enough, but I the the things I believe in, like I'm I'm I, I'm always gonna eat meat, you know, but there's the philosophy is amazing and I do that I follow. Uh, I I believe that's why you, you had me write down fears before I came over here. I don't have a lot because I the one thing I learned from that, and that was the whole process of me going through all that shit, was walking into the fear. Am I afraid of it? Step into it. Just do it. Step into it. So my fears mostly are now about my son or other things. But I don't have, like, fears of, like, these big things anymore. Because it's like, whatever it is, I'll just walk into it.
1: So if you have fear of getting AIDS, just get out there. Just get out and bang around.
0: I I cannot tell you how many, like, homeless dudes down on Skid Row that I've just gone and fucked. (laughs) Just to get AIDS. That is beautiful. I, I um, that was a little bit of walking the room right there. That
1: was a little taste of walking the room. I don't know much uh, about Buddhism, but I have memorized all of Patrick Swayze's lines from Point Break. <laughs> so
0: you know, yeah, that's basically the, the ultimate Buddhist
1: manual. I've, I, I have the gist of it. <laughs> I know that car. I know that cars are metal coffins. Right. Yeah. Yeah. See, there you go. Um. So, where would be the the next place to go to in uh, in your story? Well, I don't know. I mean, now
0: it's it's a I'm in a weird place now because have it, we gotten
1: all the, the the sabotaging highlights?
0: I think so. I mean, the the crazy thing is the sabotaging. I mean, there was there were times like like back then when in those early days of comedy, the Montreal Comedy Festival was an enormous thing. So they, like I was getting a little bit of heat in New York when I was just sitting up there and I had a big audition for the Montreal Comedy Festival and so I slept through it. Like stuff like that. Like Purposely? I I literally went to bed at 4 p.m. and took a sleeping pill and I had a set at 8 for the Montreal Comedy Festival and then I woke up at like 9.30. Like shit like that I did over and over and over. This is something that my manager stopped me from doing. So there were two comedy clubs, like the bigger ones when I was there were the Comic Strip in New York, New York. And they would all put their own, they they managed comics also, so they would put their comics on at the really good spots. And then they started swapping comics. So I'll put your comics on, you put my comics on. So all of a sudden there was no time for anybody else. And I was so enraged by it that I contacted the New York Times and then I sat down and had. And you were benefiting from this, right? I wasn't benefiting from no. it, but I was also doing just fine. Like, I was getting enough stage time. Like, it was, but it was the injustice. I see. That I just couldn't accept. Like, that's my big thing. Is like, because that came from my father, right? Injustice. It's got to all be
1: set right. Like, just insane. Did they make you wait at Taco Bell while you were uh, waiting to go on? <laughs>
0: So if you ever see me sitting here and talk about eating and crying, Avoid. you'll understand Avoid. <laughs> So, uh, so I actually contacted the New York times and sat down with a writer and he was like, so the, I, the story I'm going to pitch to my editors is like, it'll start with you and then it'll build all the way up to like the fact that, that now management companies and are producing and like, and like how it's like crossed over all of show business. And my manager got a wind of it. He goes, are you out of your fucking mind? Your whole career will be over. You're literally talking about something that starts small and goes all the way up to the top of show business. And I was like, so fucking what? And he killed the story. Wow. Yeah. But but that's the kind of stuff I did. Like, just because I wanted to write a tiny wrong.
1: Do you find yourself still wanting to sabotage things today? Hmm. No.
0: No, I, I don't. No. I mean... If I'm on a job that I don't like, I might still have to control myself from like saying this is bullshit and and walking out. But like, no stuff that's like stuff that I want to do, stuff that I'm working towards. The only the only way I sabotage myself now might be from being a little lazy. But I also think that's from getting older. Like I'd rather sit around the house than go out, you know, to the clubs.
1: I got a. an email from from a listener kind of chastising me for calling myself lazy uh an episode or or two ago and it really kind of opened my eyes that that it's it's like one of the the worst things that you can say about yourself because mm-hmm. sometimes you you need to chill out or you need to just be yeah and, that's not what i do <laughs>
0: I know what you mean, but I I could work harder. Yeah, I could definitely work harder. Yeah, yeah. I'll I'll email that guy back. (laughs) (laughs) I know what you mean, but you know I don't I don't put a lot of uh, like if I if I want to write for a day, uh, four hours is how much I'm going to do it, and if I want to write stand up, an hour. You know what I mean? Because I think beyond that, it I'm not being as productive. So I don't. It's not like I give myself huge like.
1: (laughs) Workloads. You just made me feel so incredibly lazy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so Will Anderson is this comedian from Australia, and he is maybe their most popular comedian. And why I become friends with them because of the podcast?
1: Yeah, and your your podcast is huge in Australia.
0: Yeah, it's really big. It's kind of okay. crazy because of him. Like, yeah. really, because uh, he has a a podcast called Topop and i went down to australia we did our we did ours at the melbourne comedy festival and i happened to go on a podcast that he and a friend his friend does and it was it's about the process of writing stand up and and they started talking about how they write and i was like what what you guys just don't think up an idea and then go on stage and fuck around with it <laughs> and he's like no i i'm a stand up comedian i write every day i sit down and i make myself write and i was like what and then i was like fuck i am way too old to not have to not If this is what I want to do, just do it. So I've been writing every day and I don't know what's coming of it. Cause I haven't actually gone out and hit the clubs like full force yet, which I'm going to do soon. But, uh, yeah, I'm trying to write every day. I'm trying to write bits. I'm trying to sit down and just write and if nothing comes of it, it's just, then you're just writing thoughts and you're just, and that's like therapy in a way. You're just getting the stuff out there on the paper. And
1: you feel like you're moving forward. Yeah. You know, that's it. That's the important thing, yeah. I think, is that yeah. you're not just sitting there going, I'm not doing. I am so much happier
0: if I just write for an hour, if I'm just creative in some way. I've always been that way. It, if I hang pictures on a wall, I'm happier than if I just sit around and watch TV. You know what I mean? Doing, the act of doing. Yeah, I'm happy. And then I'm you can
1: a- enjoy watching TV. Yes! You're like, yeah, oh, you yeah, can. I hung a picture. Yeah,
0: then you don't feel you don't feel bummed because you're watching uh, The Housewives of Beverly Hills. Well, you should always feel bummed.
1: <laughs> the right. picture over there of the, the Blackhawks. Uh, yeah. Stanley Cup uh, picture. Yeah. Sat on the floor <laughs> underneath it until the anniversary of them winning the Stanley Cup because I couldn't get up for the energy.
0: I have four pictures sitting... They've been there. My wife got them framed for me. I would say in January, and they're of walking the room posters at, that, yeah. of our live shows, and they've just been sitting on the floor for four months. And I always, and I actually bought I bought hangers recently. I went out and bought the little mm-hmm. tip tip into the wall. Yeah,
1: they're wait, still to, wait till the anniversary. It'll feel more special. <laughs> I can tell you from experience. You get a little tear. <laughs> Little tear rolling down your face. Yeah,
0: that'll be
1: nice. We are we are brothers of different mothers. You and yeah. I, uh, although I think your certainly your story is uh, more um, extreme. Yeah, I have a pretty
0: extreme uh, upbringing. I've learned. I've learned that I'm. I mean, I wasn't beaten, and I wasn't. Well, I was beaten. I was just. <laughs> I used to get hit with a strap. Uh but uh but I wasn't like punched and like had this show. I got yeah. punched once. Uh but I wasn't like I wasn't like a kid who was like broken bones and like you know, I was yeah. mostly neglected and, and so I had this thing. So I had it really bad. I had it I had it worse than a lot. Uh, there's others that
1: had a lot worse. So I don't know. And the thing the thing that I always like to kind of stress on the on this show is don't where your story fits on the curve of pain and neglect is not important right what is important True. is the feelings that you feel mm-hmm. and the need to just go ahead and process them and talk about them that's the that's the important thing sure cuz you're not it's it, you're not playing detective to try to come up with some blame so that you can go and blame somebody and that's going to give you the catharsis that's going to make life okay. That's not how it happens. Actually, ultimately, you're going to want to be able to forgive that person, you know, to be able to, to move on. But the processing of the feelings and feeling that sadness that you had stuffed down when you were three years old. Yeah. That's that is what is important and a lot of people can never get beyond the well I didn't get fucked I didn't get beaten so I just need to suck it up and not feel sorry for myself and you stay stuck. Totally.
0: There's also people, artists who think they need to stay broken. Yeah. Those are the people I feel really s- the most sorry for because you I don't think you can really become the artist you can be until you fix yourself.
1: Yeah. Is you know your the amount of oh, this is going to sound so pretentious, but the palette <laughs> is so limited as mm-hmm. an artist if you never forgive people and you never understand that other half of life that involves acceptance yeah yeah totally
0: the only, the only the really the the big wish I have is that I could talk about my father on stage, but I can't because people get so horrified. Like, the audience is just like,
1: what? Why is like, he laughing? Yeah,
0: you're right. Like, I've worked on it, and I always wanted to get to a place where I could talk about it. And now I'm like, oh, I still can't, because they are just like, that's insane. Yeah.
1: So, he'll remain out of the act. Well, if if we ever do a live uh, show of this. How would that go? I don't know. I want to do it, and I don't know. I, I get some feedback from people, but I can tell you this my audience would laugh
0: your audience would laugh here's the thing i would say about it though is that very hard because you're you're talking about getting performers and when they're on stage let's face it we all become something else yeah and we put on a little bit of a show so
1: to find someone to sit there and be honest would be the challenge i think it would have to be people that this wasn't their first time on the show sure so that they their darkness has already kind of been mm-hmm. out there, and now we're kind of at the at the stage where we can laugh about it. Or maybe the the live show would be playing some type of game, you know, like how we do the Fear Off. Maybe some type mm-hmm. of thing like that. So it's not you're not sitting there bringing up some awful memory, um and other people are hearing it for the right. for the first right. time. Because yeah, that's that's kind of a hard. That's kind yeah, of that'd a hard be kind of weird. <laughs>
0: Come on down to the cry off. Right? Have you have you ever thought about because you're fucked up that you wanted to do this podcast? You get that right? Yeah. Have you ever have you explored that that because my wife is a psychologist and I think they're they're out of their fucking minds because they want to sit there and hear people that are just going through the worst shit ever. Have you thought about the fact that why you want to do this podcast?
1: Yeah. There's two reasons. Um, And I get this every time I get interviewed about it, people are like, what made you want to start doing this? And there's Mm -hmm. two things. One, I had gained a perspective about depression and darkness Mm -hmm. and addiction and how that can present itself as reality. Sure. And how I had believed that for years. And then when I was able to see it for the Monster and camouflage that it really is yeah. that it's not reality I felt like I need to let other people know how this monster camouflages itself Yeah. and the other thing is it really I does actually, camouflage itself it does it's yeah. it's a fucking shape-shifting yeah. motherfucker uh, I think the Dalai Lama said that <laughs> um, and the other reason is it makes me feel less alone when I uh-huh. when I have a conversation like I'm having with you right now I'm I get to be fully present. I don't question where I am in my life, I feel of use, I feel um, I feel like I'm part of a, of a family. Yeah. and so there, I do it half selfishly, half like I want other people to know that they're, that they're not alone. right But it doesn't I get energized by the darkness if there's a perspective. To it sure if, if there's a light just even if it's a little pin light like my, we had mike karana was a, a a guest a couple of episodes ago who was in a very tough place mm-hmm. who was um just on the verge of is ready to go get help mm-hmm. and that to me is even though he's not Gaining perspective yet he does that 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 hope is just a little pin light for him right there That's enough. That's enough of a a light for it not to be a sad situation um, Or to feel exploitive.
0: I remember that. I remember that pin light someone being like you should go here
1: Just once and check it out Oh well, yeah, that might be a thing. Yeah. yeah, if this show was just me interviewing people that did not want to get help and were and were like "fuck that," oh. it, I would I would be despondent. Yeah, it'd be horrible. So that's I I don't know if that answers your question or not, but and yeah, it does actually. Or,
0: I mean, besides that, because here there's something
1: deeper than just
0: wanting to like.
1: Oh, there's a definitely a voyeur. A yeah, part of, yeah, part yeah. Of it that's too. what I mean. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm a definite voyeur. Okay. I, mean the, <laughs> I mean, the shame and secret survey that I have yeah. is a completely voyeuristic uh, experience. Yeah. Um, but part of that, you know, part of it is just a pure voyeur of, you know, I'm, I'm curious, I'm nosy. But the other part of it is I want to... I since I've been a little kid, I've had this intense curiosity about what makes people tick. Yeah. I will watch any documentary about serial killers. I love. I used to do that. I I, I love read all the books, the serial killer books. Oh yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Used to do, you uh, still do that? Not no, not not so much anymore. But like the one of the most fascinating, disturbing books I ever read was, uh, I think it was called "The Mind Hunter" by John Douglas, who was the he's the premier. Um, serial killer profiler. Uh, he basically invented that whole FBI profiling uh-huh. thing. He was the guy that signed lunch the lambs, the FBI guy yeah. that it was It was based on. And he wrote this fascinating book about getting into the mind of these incredibly broken people and why they do what they do in their modus operandi mm-hmm. and their signature and all of that stuff. I That stuff is endlessly fascinating to me so like the shame and secret survey on the on the uh on the website i get i get to read that stuff every day not not about serial killers but about people's deep people that want to fucking leave their family behind people that are tired of fucking their spouse people that Uh want to fuck their dad Uh, you know all of that stuff that is just endlessly fascinating to me Uh,
0: that it, it is fascinating do you think besides the voyeur part, because I have a theory about why people want to be psychologists and it's that because they come from broken places also, and it's that they are using it to recreate those feelings of sadness through empathy. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, cause they have a lot of them done a lot of work on themselves. So now they like to sit in it a little bit and feel it. Oh, a little that's bit.
1: interesting. I never, I never thought about that because I don't, sadness is not, it's not a an emotion that that I get off on or that I enjoy. I when I feel it I still tr- my first instinct is to still run from it. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I love more than anything is finding a similarity between myself and somebody else. Yeah, I agree. That's with what that. drives me more than anything. I think that's
0: just an inherent human thing.
1: Especially when you felt like you were a freak and broken uh-huh. most of your life yeah. which which I, I i felt most of my life that i was just a broken freak
0: oh totally i was completely like i had a group of friends that i was friends with but i was like the guy who'd never had a girlfriend and like couldn't really be close to anyone and
1: that guy yeah yeah um do you want to do a, a fear off is there is there anything uh else you want to touch on before we
0: a fear off is fine
1: okay This is from a listener. Okay, I've 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 listed so many (laughs) of my really big list. It is. That's what scared me. Well, if
0: I mean that looks like if we
1: put all my fears together from all the episodes that I've done, it would be about ten ten times. Because you asked me to come up with
0: fears, and it was hard for me to sit down and think of. Did you do you find it hard? And then they start coming, or can you just list them? I'm not a guy who can just sit
1: down and I'm not like Richard Lewis. My first two hundred fears were not difficult. (laughs) It's getting difficult now to not, to not repeat them. Yeah. Um, okay. Here's a fear that I, that I had uh, was that y- it was going to be difficult to get you to open up in oh, this no, interview. I'm not that
0: guy. Yeah. It seems like it would be that guy because of my exterior. I'm not that guy. It right. would have been, I still carry, I still carry the, as my friend called it, the uh, I'm going to blow up a building eyes yeah. around, but it's not, I'm not that like it's,
1: it's a little bit more of an exterior yeah, thing now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I've been really uh, pleased with how easy it's been to get you this to, end, to open up. This ends with a hot tub, right? <laughs> Here's what we do, Dave. We give each other back rubs and we let nature take its course. I am going to be reading fears from uh, a listener named uh, Allie. And, uh, She's going to have more than me because I only have like eight. Well, we'll... We don't have to do uh, all of hers. We'll just, uh, we'll just go until we feel like stopping. Uh, she writes, I'm afraid of getting mugged or raped.
0: Wow. Uh, I'm afraid of my son, of, of dying
1: before my son has grown. Uh, I'm afraid of not getting mugged or raped because I am too large a person to merit getting attacked. Her fears are so fucking awesome. Oh,
0: my God. Yeah.
1: That's what I have written at the top of her thing. That's amazing. It just says great
0: fears. Those are fantastic. Uh, Wow. And I I am uh, afraid
1: of not being able to make a living. Uh, I'm afraid that I'll die from cracking my neck, and then the paramedics will see that I died watching King of the Hill reruns on Netflix wearing a $6 house dress from Walgreens. (laughs) I fucking love this woman. Oh, uh, um,
0: okay. Uh, My son uh, dealing with any sort of pain or
1: anxiety. Uh, I'm afraid of getting pregnant and having to go off of my bipolar meds and then killing myself because of my crippling depression. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) He's good. I'm afraid my chronic uh, foot pain will never go away. I'm afraid no one will want to marry me because I don't want kids. Uh, I'm afraid I'll no longer be funny someday. Uh, I'm afraid of getting my shoelaces caught in an escalator. I have that one.
0: Oh yeah, I, I always d- think about I do that too. every single
1: time I get in an escalator. Always.
0: But I think that was put into us by our parents, right? Wasn't that a yeah. big thing you'd say? Yeah,
1: it'll shoot you out like a potato chip. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I always, I always was told
1: my my foot would be torn off. Yeah, uh, I'm afraid of becoming irrelevant. Uh, I'm afraid uh, that I've peaked physical attractiveness wise. Hmm. Oh, I have uh i'm afraid of bombing on stage uh i'm afraid my labia are too big oh me too i've seen yours and i think yours are dainty no you're right thank you uh if i could just uh on that point i've gotten more than a a a couple of women who who feel that way that that's a, a a fear of theirs there is a uh, website and, and it is a really rampant thing there's a documentary about it and I, the name of it escapes me right now i'll try it, i'll try to remember it but there's a website called vaginas of the world it's a tumblr site and this woman started it because she wanted to help fight uh, A lot of women are getting vaginoplasty and labia work done because they think that the vaginas you see in pornography is the norm. No, And so this woman started this website for women to anonymously post pictures of their vaginas so that everybody can see that there is no normal and that what women think is hideous is not. And people leave comments basically saying, you know, you're perfectly fine. You're yeah. lovely. You're don't change a thing. Mm-hmm. Do not get surgery. And this this listener um had confided in me through a I think it was a fear list that she that she had, hates her labia and feels that they're they're too big. And so I told her to go to this website and she said it blew her away. She felt completely different about her body after yeah. seeing that. And I can tell you When I went there, of course, immediately the first five minutes I was looking around, I was like, oh, look at all the vaginas. Yeah, a lot of vaginas. But after looking at it for a while, it completely changed my view of what the spectrum of vaginas is like, and it made me... The VS? (laughs) The vagina spectrum. It's violet at the the left end, and then bright pink on the right end. (laughs) It it made me feel two things. It made me feel a little sad when I realized the intense amount of self hatred that women have about how their vaginas look. And it also made me realize what, what a variety there are out there and what, how, how much pornography had fucked up my view of what a vagina should look like. And I just want to recommend it for, for anybody out there, uh, that men and women to go to go check it out, and it's done in a very respectful way. If anybody posts anything piggish, this the the woman that that does it, um, you know, takes their 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 comments. Oh, off. really? Because you do every once in a while, yeah, you yeah, get, yeah, get some yeah, yeah. jackass that's you know a fucking troll. That's a sweet pussy. I'd yeah. hit that that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean they do like if they're complimentary ones like that. Even oh, she'll leave, that? leave she'll leave ones up like. Yeah, like I, that yeah. because
0: but not like your vagina's horrible
1: right like
0: yeah I would say that every vagina is like a snowflake I would agree everyone is different I would agree so
1: just let your snowflake be <laughs> 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 and that ends this this month in labia <laughs> oh,
0: that'd be great um,
1: where are we um,
0: uh, your turn uh, my father getting emotional before he dies. You're afraid of that. No, I don't want to deal with it. Yeah, because that'd be a tsunami. It'd be a tsunami, and a lot of it's too little, too late. But it's it's also like I don't have those feelings anymore. You know what I mean? Like it, it's it would be awkward for him to like get, and you know, people do that at the end of their life to for him to get really emotional, and me to be like, dude. That just wasn't that's just not what it is. I
1: put my wall up. I'm not ready to take it down yeah. again. I'm, yeah, I'm j i good. Because there would have to be some re injuring in and yeah. moving back in closer to him. Sure. It would open up a lot of shit that I just um I, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> uh Ally writes, uh I'm afraid of bugs crawling in my ears and eating my brain. Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm afraid um, about my neighbors finding out that I talk about them on the podcast. Uh, I'm afraid of having children and then fucking up their lives because their mother is mentally ill. Wait,
0: I'm afraid of having children and fuck. Oh,
1: she's afraid that. Yeah, I'm afraid that I'll pass my anger on to my son. Yeah. Uh, I'm afraid of being hated by strangers. I have that one. You do? Oh yeah. I, I want everybody keep, to love me. It's I don't give a fuck. Oh, I want to get Seriously, there. Seriously, I just don't care. Greg, had, my podcasting partner, has not yeah. Greg. I yeah. don't care. It Shit. goes back and forth. When I'm in a good yeah. place, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. But when I'm not in a good place, it's like I need everybody to... Do you read comments about the podcast? And Sometimes, yes. Sometimes, no. Yeah.
0: We're all there for you.
1: <laughs> Your turn.
0: Is it my turn? I think I'm
1: out. All right, let's move into a... Uh... Let's move into the love off. Today. Oh shit! Just go ahead and unbutton that shirt. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Wait, whoa! It's weird that the microphone moved mm. when we got to the love off. Um. Well, I mean, I, the obligatory I love my wife and my son like that. Okay. Yeah.
1: I'm going to be reading the loves from uh, Katie, who is uh, not only a listener but uh, a friend and a great, uh, great supporter of the show and she writes i love when my cat lies on me and i can feel him purring while he breathes yeah it's pretty good
0: <laughs> uh, i love watching my son learn
1: something for the first time i love clean laundry
0: mm. uh i love water not and there's more to that i love like yeah i was
1: going to say jesus christ i don't stare it, at the sink be, yeah
0: i love like ocean i love lakes i love Pools. Yeah. I just
1: love there's just being around water. Yeah, something yeah. so calming about uh, just looking at a body of water, even if uh, there's a dead person floating in it. <laughs> I'd be like, all right. It's all part of nature. Oh, come on, India. Yeah. Um, Katie writes, I love when I know my favorite show has recorded and is ready to watch. I love that one. Really? Oh, yeah, like Mad Men or The Walking Dead. By the way, we should plug are you still writing for The Talking Dead?
0: I, I might go back. I if I, I have a uh, show uh, that they might make a pilot for on Comedy Central, and if that goes, then I won't go back. But otherwise, I will go back to Talking Dead, yeah.
1: How are you going to uh, sabotage both of those at the same time? I don't time? know. I'll figure it out. Yeah. I'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> you could do like that guy in uh, Publicly Jerk Off, who is the... Yeah. Uh, you know, you know. r- Comedy Central, actually, that probably wouldn't bother them. They'd be like, this is good. This is this yeah. is some good free press. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I
0: love people who speak their mind.
1: I love uh, when my cats cuddle and groom each other. A lot of cat stuff going on here. Katie loves her cats. Um, I love going to the movies. Uh, I love when I fall asleep quickly without immediately worrying about the future. Fuck. Uh,
0: I love sitting on a porch and doing nothing. Oh,
1: that's a good one. Right? That is a fucking great one. Uh, I love when I wake up a bit before my alarm and I'm able to fall asleep for a few more minutes. Mm-hmm. I like that one. Um, I love writing. I love when my fiance randomly sends me a funny or sweet text during the day.
0: hmm uh, I love watching my son laugh. I love watching magicians.
1: Does that mm-hmm. include a three-year-old Dave Anthony disappearing inside himself? <laughs> 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 what if that was one of her loves? My God, she was there. I just snorted. She
0: was there. I just snorted, almost knocked the microphone over. Uh, I love performing comedy.
1: I love new socks. Fuck, I love new socks, too. It's great. After they're first washed. Yeah. And new underwear. I like new underwear.
0: Yeah, new underwear is a good I one. I
1: will wear underwear until my wife is like, throw that shit away. There's ho- You have holes in your underwear. Yeah, I'm the same way. Yeah. Uh, I love clean sheets. I love aimlessly walking around Target and browsing the never-ending amounts of shit I'll never need but always want. I like that.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, love, uh, I love
1: sitting and watching people walk around the Grove. Uh, I'm going to read this one, even though it feels self-indulgent. But Katie <laughs> wrote it. Uh, I love Fridays because it's fucking Friday and because new episodes of the Mental Illness Happy Hour get posted. See? I mean, that was, you know, that was... But I had to qualify it. I couldn't just read it because I was like, people are going to think I... I'm reading her fears because I'm so afraid that people are going to think I'm full of myself.
0: I think you are. Yeah,
1: I am. Um, I love uh, waking up on Saturday mornings and watching European soccer. God. I love when people say hi when I walk by them on the street or when they respond uh, to my greeting without giving me a weird look. Really?
0: Yeah. How do you feel about I do that? Too. Oh, I I completely just agree random with strangers. That. You're good with that?
1: Oh, I love I love saying hi to strangers and getting a, a nice response back.
0: Here's what I, I love: finding a new sandwich place yeah. <laughs> that
1: makes awesome sandwiches. Yes. Especially if they're toasted. Yeah. Pot? Have you ever been to Potbelly? No. They're originally from Chicago, and now apparently they're they're spreading around, but they. Oh. Really? Yeah, Are that's, they here? That's, all, that, that's what their ad should just be—just oh, <laughs> so fucking good. Yeah, they they cook them in a wood fired uh, really oven. I think it's wood fire, but it's an oven. I know, yeah. I know that. Yeah. And they're out here now. Uh, Are they I coming? believe so. I know that they've spread beyond beyond uh, Chicago. Right. I'll check it out. All right. Uh, I love when someone I remember also remembers me. This happened to me this morning,
0: and it wasn't on my list, uh, but I love. I love when I'm able to drive some, from Sepulveda on Olympic all the way to Robertson and hit all greens. Nice. I was like, this is amazing.
1: I, was, I it, could have been happier. Uh, Katie writes, I love Kraft macaroni and cheese and no, I'm not five years old.
0: Fuck, who doesn't?
1: Uh, I love when my
0: when I go to pick up my son and he runs at me yelling, Daddy. Oh, that's beautiful. It's, yeah, it's one of the best ones.
1: Um how does he feel though when you peel out and laugh at him? It's as weird. he stands there crying. I say uh I say welcome to my childhood. Yeah. You know, it's just it's just getting back at him for the yeah. stuff my dad did. Enjoy your chalupa. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be I'll be at the sports bar.
0: Enjoy
1: <laughs> your chalupa. Uh, they didn't even
0: have chalupas back then. It was literally just burritos, burrito supremes. They had that beef burger thing. And tacos, like they didn't have, it was like five items back then. It wasn't, they had fancy cups though with Bugs Bunny on them, so.
1: Uh, Katie writes, I loved a home-cooked meal.
0: Yeah, along those lines, I love everything about making a meal in a crock pot. Yeah. You walk in the house, the whole house smells and you eat it, and it's amazing.
1: And the cleanup is simple. It's, it's so great. It's all about the cleanup for yeah. me. Yeah. My wife says that I should write a book about how to make and eat a meal using nothing but my fingers and standing at the sink. <laughs> that
0: would be a great book.
1: Yeah. Katie writes, "I love I love getting super into a good book where I can hardly put it down and can't wait to pick it up again."
0: Um, I love. Uh,
1: I love the first like really cold day of the year. Yes. I love when something just clicks like when I finally figure out the lyrics to a song. Are you done? Yeah, that's all I had. Then we'll end with uh Katie's last one. I love being a non-smoker and not missing cigarettes. Never fucking thought that would happen. Wow. That's a beautiful place to be. I've I been, didn't think that happened. It does. I used to be, I smoked for a couple of years and then quit and I don't miss them at all, but really? people that smoke for like decades and then don't miss them—I think that's that's, that's amazing. A, yeah, I, I my thought wife you, is one of them. I thought you always wanted them. No, that's not great. not for everybody. Yeah, not for everybody. But uh, thanks so much, Dave. I yeah, really thank appreciate you. This it. is awesome. All right. Many thanks to uh, to Dave Anthony. Uh, what a what a great guy. So much uh, so much fun to hang around with. This episode is sponsored by When Breath Becomes Air. Pulitzer Prize finalist and named one of the best books of the year by the New York Times Book Review, People, NPR, The Washington Post, Slate, and more. When Breath Becomes Air is available wherever books are sold. Learn more at prh.com breath. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. Let's see a couple of uh notes before we go out. I have a really interesting uh survey response from the shame and secrets survey that uh that I want to read, but a couple of uh of notes before that um if you are somebody who is in the public eye and you are a fan of this show and when you would be interested in coming on uh please don't hesitate to email me. One of the things that I do like about having guests that are more i don't know what you call famous or high profile is I get a lot of responses back from people that are shocked that people in high-profile positions or the public eye, they're shocked that these people's lives aren't magically better. And um, I would like to have more people like that on the show, and also selfishly because it will help the show grow and uh, help me get to that place where uh, I can support myself from doing it. A um, couple of things to mention before we get to that uh, that survey. Um, You can support us non-financially by going to iTunes, giving us good rating. That boosts our ranking, brings more people to the show, and you can help non-financially by just spreading the word through Reddit, Tumblr, all those other social media sites. The more you can spread the word, uh, the more we can help destigmatize mental mental illness and and, and get help for the people that need it, because it is a serious... This is a serious fucking thing. I know we joke around a a, a lot, but, you know, what happened in Colorado, if that doesn't drive home... um, what untreated mental illness can look like. Uh, and maybe that guy was treated. Who knows what his, what his full story is. But, um, I don't think there's any doubt that mental illness played, uh, played a role in that. And, um, you know, like I said before, if, if you say you care about the victims, but you are not for more money going to mental health care for all Americans, uh, you really don't care about the victims because you don't care about future victims. And, uh, that may be divisive of me to say that, but uh, if you disagree, go fuck yourself. And I don't mean that in a funny way. I mean that in a truly go fuck yourself way because it's, uh, it's exhausting living with mental illness. I'm, uh, I'm fucking tired of it. I'm really fucking tired of it and I have access to decent uh, healthcare. I get to see a psychiatrist. I get to see a psychologist. You know, I get my meds paid for through my wife's insurance. And a lot of people don't. And that's fucked up. We call ourselves the greatest country in the world. Um, that that doesn't strike me as a quality of a, of a great country. I'm not saying this isn't a great country. I'm just saying there's a disconnect there. All right. Enough of my soapbox. Um I want to take, let's get on to something more lighthearted like a, a mother sexualizing her child. <laughs> this survey comes from uh, a guy who calls himself Proud New Papa, His uh, he's straight, he's in his 30s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, uh, ever been the victim of sexual abuse. He says some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts as sexual abuse. My mother acted inappropriately with me on many occasions. She thought it would be funny to play grab ass with me until I was in college. Uh, she used to force me to kiss her on the lips until I was almost 19. When I would object to the kissing, she would get very mad and almost yell at me, making me feel ashamed that I wouldn't do something that made uh, me feel so very uncomfortable. But worst of all. Uh, was when I was 11 and 12 years old, she would try to get me to take my swimsuit off while swimming in our pool. It did not even re-enter my consciousness that this occurred until I heard Paul discussing his issues with his mother on the podcast. I have so much anger, guilt, and shame pouring through me daily because of this that it is affecting every aspect of my life, and I don't know what to do about it. Deepest, darkest thoughts, he writes, I have contemplated suicide at various points in my life since I was 14. I often... Uh, I think often about just saying fuck everything and going off to live in the middle of the woods away from everyone and everything, which, by the way, of all the surveys I read, that is the most common fantasy that that most people have or dark thought is they just want to cut contact with everybody and just move someplace else. Um, He writes, there have been many times recently where the only thing that has stopped me from doing this are the fact that I would not see my two young children ever again. I also think that when my wife is late or hasn't called for a while that something happened or she has died in an accident. Rather than calling to check on her, I start planning for my widower future in my head, contemplating how I would go about raising the kids without her, how how I would involve her family and their lives, and how quickly I would have to sell the house and move back in with my parents, which would be the worst part of the whole thing, even worse than the fact that my wife was dead. Boy, do I get that one. The thought of... Having to move back in with, uh, an abusive parent. Uh, wow. Uh, after an hour, after a half hour of this, uh, I finally realized that I should probably call and check on her. What are sexual fantasies most powerful to you? He writes, I have a fantasy of being completely degraded and just giving all control to my wife to be her servant. I want her to yell at me and beat me and recognize me for the piece of shit I am. I want her to fuck other guys in front of me and rub it in my face. I want her to just abandon me alone in the room while she goes and has an orgy next door so I can hear everything that is going on but be powerless to stop it. On the other hand, I want to completely dominate her as well, leave her tied up on the bed, force her to satisfy my urges and make her have sex with a parade of women while I direct them all to satisfy my depraved desires. Man, I sound like a sicko and I'm surprising myself by writing this. I feel disgusting. You're not disgusting. You are you are a a human being and uh do not feel do not feel shame about uh thinking or feeling that stuff. Uh, would you ever consider telling a partner or close friend your fantasies? He writes, I try to mention bringing a new person into bed every once in a while, but I don't know how receptive my wife is to it, so I just stop bringing it up. Plus, it makes me feel like a perv to even acknowledge these thoughts. What are the deepest, darkest secrets um, that you, things that you've done or things that have happened to you? He writes, I was the coordinator for a fundraiser in a college charity. I didn't trust the other people in the group to pay the money to the charity, so I deposited it into my bank account. Then, rather than pay the money to the charity, I used it to pay my own bills. It was only $300, and I've donated more than that since then to try to make up for it. Um, also, uh, I once got a blow job from a co-worker in the stockroom when my wife and I were still dating before we got married. That was the only time I've ever had a woman swallow. And uh he also lists, I also find myself contemplating moments in life of extreme embarrassment and beating myself up over them to the point that I still can't move past them. I go all the way back to things that happened in elementary school and I'm in my 30s and still feel like a piece of shit and everyone is judging me for them, even though I know rationally that there is no way anyone currently in my life is aware of these things. Do these secrets or thoughts generate any particular feelings towards yourself? He writes guilt, anger, hatred, insufficiency, worry. The fact that the blowjob is still in my spank bank worries me and makes me feel shame and remorse. You know, I'm sure anybody l- listening to this, hearing your survey, if you're listening, the person that filled this out, you are so hard on yourself. You know, what, what you went through it's so difficult as a child because you had a parent who was denying who you were as a human being and they were treating you like an object and using you and that is incredibly fucking damaging and i think you need to give yourself uh a little bit of slack i mean one of the things that you feel most guilty about is that you just had s- some money for a little while from this charity and then you paid it back i mean boy on the grand curve of humanity of things that we've done dude you are uh a really good person a really good person um but all the people in the world could tell you that and until you feel that yourself it's never going to make a difference that's the thing that's so fucked up about about mental illness and and the damage that w- that we've we've been through is that stuff gets planted so deeply in ourselves. Um, At the end of the, the survey to the question, do you have any comments or suggestions to make the podcast better? He writes, since I started listening to the podcast, I've started to confront these issues in my past and begun seeking therapy. I still have a long way to go, but I know that I will get there, partially because of the work you are doing. My self-improvement is the most important thing to me right now because of my young children. I want to do anything and everything I can to provide a stable, warm, and loving environment for them and to be a pillar of support as they grow older. I know that I cannot avoid fucking something up and by connection them, but at least I can minimize the extent of the fucking up, and I owe this in part to you. Please continue the good work. Well, that's very sweet of, of you to, uh, to say that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very flattered. And it also makes me feel good to know that there's somebody out there that has experienced what I've experienced. It sounds like yours was more extreme than, than what I experienced. But the thing that is awesome is that you can see that, like Dave Anthony talked about, it is time to move beyond being a victim. You know what happened. You know some fucked up shit happened, but now you are into action, and that is what an adult does, and I think that is awesome, and I think you are to be applauded, and you are you are a shining example of what is best about human beings is their, their resilience. I heard somebody say something um, the other day. Uh, you can't think your way out of a thinking problem. You can only behave your way out of a thinking problem and you are beginning to behave your way out of a thinking problem by going to therapy and there you will learn other behaviors that will help you cure this cycle of negative thinking in your head that tells you that you're a piece of shit and you are not there's so many of us just like you so many and if you're out there and you're struggling it can get better and never forget that you are not alone and thanks for listening
0: Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully everybody up up I know is weird bizarrely fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.